Have you heard about Granger's story, the successful country music artist who sang an awful lot of songs and sold an awful lot of albums, made an awful lot of money? Something happened in June of 2019. It shattered his carefully curated world of success. It shattered his cultural Christianity, he says. It shattered his identity. It shattered his heart. And in August, just a couple of months ago, he walked away from the music, from the tours, from the fame, from the fans. Why? What happened? Well, we're going to talk about that story today at the Radio Backyard Fence. At least I think we are. (laughs) And if you have had some kind of loss that continues to haunt you to bring up feelings of guilt and shame, I hope you'll stay with us. And if you go to chrisfabrylive.org, you'll see our featured resource today, Like a River, a book by Granger Smith. And we're going to talk about it today on a Monday edition of Chris Fabry Live. I want to thank those behind the glass. Ryan McConaughey is back doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Tahira's in the chair today. Anthony will be answering your calls. About this time of the program, I tell you about our um, what what we're offering you this month if you support the program. And I want to thank you for doing that. Thank you for the support that you give us for these daily conversations. One of the things I think that happens with a program like this and other programs on Moody Radio, the morning show and uh, any program that comes on around my time or later or before, and you hear these folks talking about resources, you'll hear about a book, you'll hear about a website, you'll hear about a ministry, and we give you, you know, the, the ideas and the hope that these ministries have for you and something sparks either for you or for somebody you know. And I think that's one of the one of the main reasons why we have this program is to be a conduit for you. Uh, and that's why I'm really looking forward to talking with Granger. Whether we do or not, we're having a problem getting a hold of Granger um, today. Whether we get to talk with him or not, if you have this recurring thought in your life of, oh, I messed up, it's my fault, and you keep that, you walk with that for the rest of your life, you can, you can carry that weight the rest of your life. It won't be very easy. You'll live under the weight of it, the W-E-I-G-H-T of it. And um, so I, I want to, if you go to the website, you'll click through, you can see Like a River, because it's a really, really good book. But I want to tell you about something else, something else I believe in. That is that telling our stories is a, is a gift to each other. And each month, I choose a thank you, and they've told me, Chris, give something you believe in, something that has spoken to you, something that has gone deep inside of you. And I can't give you anything as a thank you for your support of this program that has gone any deeper than a novel that I've spent the last three years writing. That's not the the right word. I've spent three years struggling <laughs> to try and tell this the best way I know. There are millions of people who are silently dealing with a killer. Someone they love has Alzheimer's, and they feel so alone, and they feel so exhausted. I haven't talked about this uh, on the program, but a, a few weeks ago, my daughter and I went to a, 
a wedding in, in Houston, and one of my best friends in life has Alzheimer's, and he recognized me. But you could see the toll that this is taking and the toll that it's taking on the rest of the family. So I wrote this novel, Saving Grayson, because I want you to fall in love with him, the Grayson. I want you to cheer for him to solve the mystery of his life before his memories fade. And I'd love to send you that novel. Give a gift of any size. We'll send it to you. Just go to chrisfabrylive.org. Scroll down. You'll see how you can give a gift right there. chrisfabrylive.org or 866-95-FABRY. And I mean it, a gift of any size. And we'd love to put this in your hands. 866-953-2279. After 24, we found him. After 24 years, Turing is an award-winning, platinum-selling country music singer-songwriter. Granger Smith chose to leave the music business to pursue what? You're going to find out today. He and his wife, Amber, live north of Austin with their kids. London, Lincoln, and Maverick are featured resources like a river. It will, if, it did, if it does to you what it did to me, it'll be something good. Granger, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, you had your last concert a couple of months ago. Is that right? Tell me about that. I did. Yeah, we're looking at just over two months ago. <laughs> and I've been thinking about that a lot lately. It's like, how far removed am I from from my old life? But yeah, I finished up a farewell tour in in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. That's the last time I walked off a music stage. And you said on, on one of the video things that I saw, you sold all your buses, you, you're, you sold the truck. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Everything. In fact, uh, was on a call right before this one, just trying to finalize the rest of the gear to, uh, to sell the rest of it. Wow. Are there any guitars? You're not selling any guitars, are you? <laughs> yeah, I do have a, a little bit, a, a little too many of guitars in my house. So yeah, I probably will get rid of some of those as well. No, but mostly electric <laughs> or some uh, acoustic? What are they? They're, they're most, they're mostly acoustic. Okay. Are you are you in the market? I'm, <laughs> I'm looking for a deal, Granger. I'm always looking for a deal. You know me. Um, okay, good. <laughs> okay, so is it fair to say then that you're you know two months ago because I saw the message at at Liberty University that and that just I don't know what happened in that crowd but for me it was like this is it. Um, <laughs> Your identity was in music. Your identity was in what you did rather than who you were. So you take that away, and most people, men especially, will fall apart. It doesn't sound like that it was that big of a deal to let go of all that. Well, it, it maybe it doesn't sound like that, uh, looking in hindsight, but it but it certainly was. It was a it was a severe battle to shed that part of me and to strip that uh, that felt reality that I thought I was, that identity that I thought I was. So it was it was years. I actually keep a journal, a diary, a digital diary. And, and so I'm able to track every morning when I put a new entry in, I could look back on the last five, six years and I could kind of track my thoughts and what I was feeling. And so I could look back and track the first times when I was like, you know, this whole uh, being a musician thing. I, I don't know 
if this if I could hang on to this much longer, it's not reconciling with the gospel with me. Uh, this exalting myself and needing attention and promoting a company that is essentially myself is not reconciling with me. And so I, I, I could trace it back for a few years and then I could see through those through the few years that oh this wasn't an easy process. There was there was a there was a lot of struggle in getting rid of that. But when you finished, when you when you finished the last, you know, you're going getting ready to go up there, and you'd done this for twenty, you know, two dozen years. Anything you've done that long, you think, boy, this could be hard. It sounds like it was. It, there was almost a freedom going through that process. Yeah, there really was. You know, last fall is when I I finally decided, okay, next year, 2023, will be the, the final tour. And I hadn't told anybody yet besides my wife. And and I didn't know at that point. I didn't know maybe this is going to be really hard. Maybe I'm going to cry. And in fact, as we scheduled the farewell tour and I started looking at the dates and, and you know, sitting there looking at them, at them on a piece of paper, I'm looking and going, man, am I going to break down on this stage? Is this... Is this day going to be tough for me? And the last time in Iowa, I love Iowa. The last time in Ohio, how will I feel? And then here's the, the very last date. It's in Texas. Will I cry? Will I break down in the middle of a, of a song and not be able to finish the song? I don't know. And I didn't know until it started unfolding. And right there in that last show, I, I felt nothing, honestly, nothing but joy to give up that stage. And then you've talked about, you know, the bandmates that you have and, and that this time you're, you're trying to help them, you know, move forward, whatever that means for them. So, so that's, that's just right there in the rear view or maybe the side view mirror. That's what's happened. But in 2019, something happened that precipitated the, this cataclysm in your life. We're going to talk about that. You spend the entire book it is a really heart-wrenching but a deep book called Like a River, Finding the Faith and Strength to Move Forward After Loss and Heartache by Granger Smith. He's telling his story today. I think it's going to help you wherever you are in the journey. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. It's great having Granger Smith with us today. He's an award-winning, platinum-selling American country music singer-songwriter who fell in love with music at an early age. He's married to Amber. They live in Austin or near, just north Austin, with London, Lincoln, and Maverick. Like a River is the book that he's written, and we're talking about that today. So uh, way back, let's go way back. You grew up going to church. You grew up uh, in Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Young Life. I mean, you you were kind of steeped in that culture, quote-unquote, Christian culture from an early age. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And that's kind of an important part of my testimony. And, and I, I usually put that into my story, not to say, not to claim some kind of righteousness from myself, but in order to justify the what comes next <laughs> in order to justify the severity of what I was caught up in. And that is this cultural Christianity, which I call in the book dog tag Christianity, uh, which is it, it, it became no more than a heritage. 
Of course, I wouldn't have told you that. If you would have asked me 10 years ago, are you a Christian? I would have said, absolutely. Jesus died for my sins. I'm going to heaven. If you give me a one out of 10, if I'm going to heaven, I'd say 10, I'm, I'm going to heaven. But there was no fruit from my life that the gospel talks about. You couldn't look at my life and go, oh yeah, that guy loves Jesus. That's all he thinks about is he loves Jesus. So you wouldn't have said that at all. You would have thought, oh, that guy, he's a, uh, he's a faithful man. And it would probably would have stopped there. And that's an important thing for me to say because, because I didn't realize what was happening until tragedy struck my family. And I realized at that point, I had nothing to lean on. I always relied on myself, not on God. I relied on myself. And when tragedy struck, I wasn't enough. So take us back to June of 2019. What happened? Yeah, that was uh, that was June the fourth, twenty nineteen. Um, that was the day I lost my little boy River. He was three years old, and uh, he dr- he drowned in our pool when I was there with him. I was there with with all three kids at the time, and it happened fast. It happened silently. Uh, he got into our our gated pool playing water gun fight with our our son Lincoln, and. By the time I realized it and was able to make it into the pool to get him, he was already unconscious. We lived uh, outside of, of the city in the country where it took emergency services about probably 10 minutes to arrive. And so without truly knowing how to do CPR, he stayed unconscious for about 10 minutes, which is way too long uh, for a for his little brain without oxygen. Um, now, the paramedics were able to... to get a heartbeat back with electric shock. We followed him to the hospital and within uh, a little over 24 hours, they pronounced him dead in the hospital. Um, my life collapsed. Uh, we, I did everything I could to hold, try to hold my family together, to try to uh, fend off the, the crippling guilt that gripped me for being the responsible adult in the backyard with him on that evening, June 4th. And uh, there were there were moments that um, I, I thought I had hope and I thought I had I thought that I was kind of winning the battle. We went to therapy. We we did everything we could. I, I read my devotionals, my Christian devotionals. But but uh, Chris, I was sliding. I was I was backsliding slowly and slowly um, until I realized I had nothing left. When you and your when you and Amber came home from the hospital, your kids had drawn in chalk, "Welcome home, River." What what went through your mind when you saw that? I was it was devastating, heartbreak. Um, we came home. Our mission, coming home on that that dreadful drive home from the hospital without our little boy, our mission, our number one mission was to to tell his siblings and to sit them down and to be as honest as we could and, and uh, to try to, to explain the situation as, as best that we could in, in a situation that's almost unexplainable. And they didn't know, so they didn't know that he didn't make it. So they were riding in chalk. Welcome home, River. That's, that's how we were met when we got home. You couldn't stay then at that house. I mean, that that house had too many of the of that memory of of him in the pool, right? Absolutely, yeah. I I remember the pastor came over who was going to do the funeral service, and he came over and and wanted to see the backyard just to kind of get an idea as he was building uh, his message for that funeral. And he walked in the backyard with me, and 
we talked a little bit and we looked at the little toy tractors that were in the sand that River had played with a few days before. And he glanced over at that pool and he looked at me and he said, oh, buddy, you got to move from here. And I knew he was right. It didn't take him saying it, but I knew he was right. I couldn't, I couldn't live any longer looking at that swimming pool. Yeah. There's a picture in the book of the, of the wheel, you know, the, the empty tire and then the little, it looks like Tonka truck and a tractor or something like that. And that's, that's the, the last thing that he played with there, right? Yeah. You know, that picture you're talking about in the book, my son Lincoln, as he first got the manuscript of the, the finished book, and he, he didn't really grieve like my daughter did. Uh, he, he held back a lot. But when he turned the page and saw that picture you're talking about. Yeah. Um, this was just a few months ago. He he broke down. He broke yeah. down. It is. This is the hardest thing, and and this is not something that you know. And then okay, let's just move on. You know, let's just sit here for a minute and think about you, as you say, the responsible adult there, and the voices, the flash of memory that come back to you that you and you, and you can move as far away from that as you want, but it's always there, right? Yeah, I called it the slideshow. It was just tormenting me, the the visions. And and I've come to know that what happens is when you when the human brain goes through an extreme tragedy, something so unexplainable and unexpected, it tries to fill in that loop with a solution, an answer, a, a fix of the problem. And it so it replays the situation looking for the loop. And when it doesn't find it, it just starts the loop all over again. And people go through this all the time with PTSD. I didn't realize it at the time until I've really thought about it in hindsight, but that's what my brain was doing. It tormenting me. That slideshow would pop into my head mid conversation with someone else, middle of the night in a dream uh, on the stage performing. There it was. There's, there's river in the pool. There's me getting him out. There's the doctor saying that he's not going to make it. There's that, that chalk on the concrete saying, welcome home river. It was just a loop that never ended. So you tried to medicate it. You tried to lessen the, the effect of it. How did that work? Well, consider myself a, a fairly mentally tough person and it, nothing I was doing was working. So as time went on, I was just desperate for anything. I don't have, really have an addictive personality to things. It just, I just thought, man, whatever it takes to stop this slideshow, to, whatever it takes just to get a good night's sleep, let me do it. I'll try anything. Well, you name it, I'll try it. Just to, maybe if I could just get a good night's sleep, maybe if I can collect a week worth of good night's sleeps, maybe if I could uh, just kick the can down the road a little bit, eventually time will catch up with me and I'll surely get better. That's that's what I was thinking. So I, I would try anything. Yeah. And that's a dead end because you can only numb it for so long or so well until you get con- addicted to whatever you're numbing or using to numb, right? Yeah, I started to realize that it, as it was happening, I realized that I was it was a wrong assessment to think that I could kick the can farther than the pain and the guilt and the shame. And But I kept thinking, if I could just numb myself a little longer, then uh, I, I can get past it. And then when I wake up out of the numbness, 
I, enough time will have gone by, maybe a year, maybe two, maybe five, and I will have healed myself through that. That was a wrong assessment. And I realized that as it was happening, that, uh, that my main, the, the main little tool that I had in my, in my workbench there was this uh, marijuana pen. It was a vape pen. And you could put this little marijuana uh, oil in there and heat it up. And you could take a little hit and it would instantly just kind of calm me and relax me, make me want to fall asleep. And I realized that as I needed to do that more as a precautionary measure or just to make sure that it was working, I realized that what went from just a, trying to get a good night's sleep ended up, well, let's try to have a good morning. Let's have, try to have a good afternoon. And so I quickly realized uh, this, is, this is a dead end road. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So you, you're there. What about Amber? Did she handle the grief process any differently than you did? Amber, everyone grieves differently. Uh, you, you never see a couple or a family or a group grieving on the same level at the same time. So uh, she would have a really bad day and I'd be having a decent day. You know, it's at those, at those times that we, you know, that's by God's grace that we could help encourage each other through those times because inevitably the next day it would flip flop and I would be having a bad day and she'd be decent that next day. So, um, she was grieving differently, not any easier than me. I, I carried probably an unnecessary amount of guilt because I was with River when it happened. Um, but that's not to say that I had it any worse or or better than she did. No. Yeah. And that's I want to get to that point right there because I think there are a lot of people who have gotten stuck in the in that guilt. And it can be the death of someone, but it doesn't have to be that that, you know, uh, dramatic, it could be something else that happened. And if I hadn't done this or if I had done that and, and, and then you, you know, you go down that road, I want you to talk about that. But what was the spiritual turn then? Does something happened in a truck somewhere on some County road in Texas. <laughs> yeah. Well, all of what you're doing, um, it's you're teeing up perfectly for the gospel, um, which is the answer to that guilt. But uh, the, the short story is, um, things got progressively worse and worse and worse until I didn't want to live anymore. Uh, and it was on a, that fateful night when I had that realization was in Boise, Idaho in two, about six months after we lost river. And, um, I ended up falling onto the floor, um, crying on the floor of my bus, uh, completely broken down and crying out for Jesus. and in that cry, in that kind of like reflex, knee-jerk cry to Jesus, because I was a cultural Christian. That's the name you say when you're a cultural Christian. It actually worked. And, and it's strange to even say it, but that surprised me. It surpri surprised me that a knee-jerk reaction, Jesus, save me, please save me. That actually ended the slideshow. It actually gave me peace enough to fall asleep on the floor in my, all of my clothes that night on the back of my bus. And so after that night, when I woke up the next morning, I was on a new mission to find out who is this Jesus more than just this cultural idea that I had grown up thinking in fellowship with Christian athletes and young life and church. Now this was, this was a real situation, a, a, a life or death problem that suddenly was pacified by calling his name. So I, I started a mission. I thought, well, I need to find out who is this 
And what have I been thinking about for all these years? What What's this kind of ticking in the background that's been cultural Christianity? What does it really mean? And so um, months went by of that, me in this search on YouTube, listening to different preachers and pastors and sermons and, and all these different ideas and within devotionals. I became uh, obsessed with it because that was the new medication for me. You know, it's like, okay, well, th- if this works, then let me run this rabbit hole as far as it goes. And that led me to March 1st of 2020 when I was listening to a, a pastor on YouTube. And that's when, after hearing the gospel and the seed of the gospel was planted in me so long ago, that's when it finally came around and I understood it. I was overcome by it. I was overwhelmed by the reality of the gospel all in that moment. And I'm simplifying what was a complicated situation, but I'll get to the guilt because as we as humans, as you mentioned, so many people struggle with guilt and shame. And we look back and go, I did something that I regret, or there was a fatal error in something and I can't get past it. Soldiers go through this all the time in their PTSD. And we, as we tell them, there's nothing to be guilty about. It's not your fault. You can't let that hang over your head. You, you, you need to forgive yourself. We say these things to each other, trying with all sincerity to help each other. But in reality, the more you say it, that doesn't make it any more true than the fact that we are guilty. So if someone commits something, they're still guilty of it. Yeah. Even if you tell okay. them they're not. Okay, so when we come back, I want you to take us to that place for the person who's listening, Granger Smith. Like a River is our featured resource. You'll find it at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. We're talking with Granger Smith today. Real quickly, there are a lot of stories of men and women who are choosing life. Sometimes you have to look for them. One of the organizations at the forefront is CareNet. Have you ever heard of CareNet? Some like 1,200 affiliated pregnancy centers around the country staffed by people whose names you might not know. They don't show them on the evening news, but they're heroes because they're helping men and women every day who are facing an unplanned pregnancy. Do this test. Type the word pregnancy in your search engine. See what the first result is. If it's an abortion provider, that's not by accident. There are a lot of forces working against life in this culture. See the work CareNet is doing. Click the green button at chrisfabrylive.org that says CareNet, and you'll hear some of those stories that I'm talking about. Click CareNet at chrisfabrylive.org. And one of the other things that CareNet does is they call it pro-abundant life because the gospel is in there too. So um, that's what we're talking about with Granger Smith. Like a river, finding the faith and strength to move forward after loss and heartache. So Granger, when you say the word gospel, that you finally figured out what the, it, it took seed in your heart a long time ago, but it kind of flourished uh, like a tree by a river. Uh, what do you mean by the gospel when you say that? Mm. I'm so glad you asked that question, Chris. <laughs> I love your voice, by the way. You say that so eloquently. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you know, if someone is struggling with guilt like I was, 
And it's interesting. It's it's almost a, a pretty good segue because you could you could fill in the blank with anything that we have done. And you said uh, abortion. So say someone, for instance, hypothetically, uh, had an abortion years ago. And as we know, that, uh, that as a lot of people do, they have serious guilt with that. And, and say they confess that to someone else and they say, I, I'm struggling with something, something I've done years ago and I cannot get past it. Well, as a society, we say, you need to forgive yourself. You need to move on. That's not you anymore. It's, there's, you, you shouldn't still feel guilty about that. We say these things and we try to make each other feel good. But the reality is you, that doesn't make it go away. You still feel it. You could kind of suppress those ideas but w- with these happy thoughts. But it's still in there. And that's what I was feeling after the death of my son, River. And when, when the gospel took root in me, I realized that that was the answer to everything. Because Jesus says, yes, you are guilty. Yes, you are a sinner. I have come to save sinners. I have entered humanity. I died on the cross. And three days later, I rose from the dead. According to the scriptures, for the, for the sins and the guilt and the shame of sinners like you, so that I could cover your guilt, so that I could wipe you clean, so I can cleanse you from your unrighteousness and give you a righteousness of my own, not of your own, but of my own, so that you are seen by God with the righteousness of me. That's the gospel. You believe in that. You believe that he died for the sins to cover them, to forgive them, because we don't have the power to forgive our own sins. Everyone says, forgive yourself. And we know that that's not possible. And Jesus goes, I forgive you. Look to me. I cover you. I remember your sins no more. I remember your guilt no more. And there is a supernatural peace that overcomes us as believers when that takes root in our heart. I, what I, one of the things I'm hearing you say is the control thing, because if you're a, you know, if you're a good dad, then you're going to be there. I mean, you had the fence all the way around there. You had the gate, you know, it's secure. He's not, River's not getting through there. So you've done your due diligence. You're there, you're, you know, playing with the kids. Everything's fine. So it wasn't some malicious thing that you did, which can also happen, you know, at times, especially on farms, you know, a horse can get out or whatever. But so you're not doing anything malicious, but you still hold yourself responsible for that because if you had been there and you're in control and you'd had done that, you'd seen him get through or climb over or however he got in, you could have done something and you didn't. And so you hold yourself responsible. Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't thought enough about the difference between a malicious guilt and a negligent guilt. <laughs> I don't think uh, it could have gotten any worse than I, what I was feeling at the time. So I can't imagine that a malicious guilt would be even worse. But I, I just think uh, extreme guilt is just that. It's extreme guilt. Yeah. And so what you have just described is what I talk about forgiving yourself. And people will say it kind of, you know, as a, as a throwaway line. What you really are doing is receive by faith, receiving the forgiveness of God and the righteousness of God at the same time as something you could never earn. You could never get to the place where, you know, he would give this to you because "Ah, you crossed the finish line. Good for you. No, you could never earn that. But he gave it to you anyway because of grace, right? 
That's exactly right. Unmerited favor, undeserving. That's the story of the gospel. And for everyone that that feels like they, they're struggling with guilt or shame, which is all a, just a, a nice word for saying sin, uh, Jesus says, you're all sinners. If you're a sinner, you're qualified for the gospel, meaning we're all sinners. All of us have fallen short of, of God's righteousness. And so Jesus comes to comes in. That's where he comes in as an invasion into humanity and goes, I'm coming to reconcile sinners to myself. Praise God for that unmerited favor. Okay, so how long from that watching that message until you decided I'm not I'm not go tour anymore. I'm giving I'm giving up the country <laughs> yeah. music. Yeah, that was so that that you know started the burner and on the slow burn on the stove and and when that for the first thing that happened to me after that realization as the gospel took root, uh, I went home and I told my wife Amber I said no more devotionals. We're going straight to the Bible. Not that devotionals are bad, but what we were doing is we were relying on those. That was our main source of spiritual income. You know, we were going to devotionals and reading some kind of pretty devotional that had a scripture attached to it. Instead, I said what we need to do as our source of 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 spiritual input is we need to go right to the Bible itself and we need to start and we need to read it like our, like our life depends on it as if it is the living, breathing word of God, that it says that it is that scripture testifies to itself as the living word of God. We should read it. Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. And so I told my wife, Amber, I said, we can't keep his word unless we know what it is. Let's go read it. Not because I want, because I'm trying to earn something, but because out of my gratitude of the one that saved me on the bus in Boise, Idaho, I want to. I want to please him. I want to read his word so that I could keep his word. And with that, my life changed. As I read his words and it transformed me, and I started living out the the commands of the Bible. Uh, once again, I have to keep saying, not that I was earning anything, but because I, I was, it was pleased, so pleasing to me to please our Lord that it just felt good. And, and then peace would follow me and rest would follow me. Guilt would fall away. Shame would fall away. And as I kept doing that, the, the main thing of the falling away was myself. My old self died. And part of my old self was the singer that goes on stage and needs and craves attention and craves applause and craves people to stand up and raise up their hands and sing every word and buy tickets and buy albums. And that side of me, just I started getting weary of that. I thought, that's just kind of disgusting. I don't want to promote myself. I don't, I don't need people to raise their hands. In fact, it's a sin of mine. It's, it's, it's repulsive that I need that. I, 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 that old self died. And so that, that was a slow realization as that burner turned up and my, my pot started boiling. I thought, you know what? I think there's more to my life. There's more to my life than promoting myself. Would you, would you say then that a, a, a person in another situation from yours, uh, it could be not country music, but that they would have had a different response to it and it would be okay. Meaning, uh, if you become a Christian and you're a great uh, country singer or songwriter, you got to give that up. If you become a, you know, not a cultural Christian, but you become a committed follower of Jesus, you got to give that up. You, you got to sell all your buses and all your guitars too. <laughs> you're not saying that you have to do that. This was your, your path, right? 
I'm absolutely not saying that. You're right. This was my path, and it was it was my own version of sanctification. We're all going to have different levels of it, and and it's okay because we're going to be sanctified in our own way as believers, and our own way will be made known to us through our desires. And so, what I mean by that is, of course, you're not. I'm not advocating to sell everything and quit your job and go be a, a traveling minister. Absolutely not. But for me, in my case. It was the feeling of promoting myself on the country music stage. I realized that I had an unhealthy craving for that, a need to be exalted. And as, as I felt that need, I recognized it as sin for me. And I recognized that I needed to shed it. Now, another guy that might be doing the same thing, it might be a country singer for se, and he he might not have a problem at all. He goes, I'm not exalting myself. I don't have a need for people to clap. I'm actually going on stage to bring joy through song to people and tell the gospel from my country music stage. I, to that, I say, amen. Amen, brother. I, I wish I could do that, but I couldn't. It, it, was, it was something that became repulsive to me. So I knew my own personal sanctification through my own desires. The people who heard this, though, and there are a lot of people who said, you know, way to go, Granger. I get I get what you're doing, and it's, that's fantastic. There are a lot of people who say, you dummy, what in the world are you throwing all in? A, they, they didn't get it, and it's okay that they didn't get it, right? Yeah, the Bible says that not everyone's going to get it. Uh, in fact, the Bible's going to say that most people won't. Um, only, only a few will say, I hear you. I see what you're doing, and I and I and I, I I am so encouraged by what you're doing. Now, only a few people will say that. Um, most people will go, oh, "Poor Granger, he lost his mind after he lost his son. Poor guy, he's can't imagine the torment he's going through. He's just quitting everything." And and to that, I I smile and I say, "I, I understand. <laughs> I understand that." Yeah. Okay, there's one big question that I have, and when we come back, I'm going to ask it, and it's the S word, sovereignty. How do you deal with the sovereignty of God when you've lost this dear person? Granger Smith is written like a river, finding the faith and strength to move forward after loss and heartache. It's our featured resource at chrisfabrylive.org. Our remaining moments with Granger Smith. His book is Like a River, Finding the Faith and Strength to Move Forward After Loss and Heartache. You can see it. We have a link there at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. I'd like to talk with Amber. I think she would be just fascinating (laughs) to hear her side of this whole thing. Um, But you've been so in the media and people have peeked into your story and it has been very much like you just mentioned before the break, you know, poor Granger. Oh, well, you know, if this helps him, you know, great, fine, you know, this religion thing. But it's more than that. It's it's just this vibrant relationship with Jesus who's who's leading you now and you really want to go toward ministry. You're, You're still studying at Southwest Theological Seminary? Yeah, Southern, Southern, Southern. Theological Seminary. And um, yeah, and I'm a year in, so I probably have a, honestly about three more years for the, for the MDiv. So it's, it's relentless. Is it, is it wild to be studying in class this stuff that you're studying and you just think, wow, I missed this all this time? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm actually, so I'm preaching this coming weekend and I'm, so I'm preparing through first, first Corinthians 15. And as I go through that, I'm going through commentaries. I just, it's like pulling it. It's like, in a, you're in a gold mine in Montana and you see these slivers of gold and you go there. It is. This was here all along for centuries and centuries and millennia. And, and I didn't see it and I just mined it and I'm pulling this gold out. It's, it's really like a hidden treasure. Okay, so deal with sovereignty. When you look at that God is in control, he could have stopped that from happening. He didn't. He let it happen. How do you deal with that? Amen. First of all, uh, our God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Nothing happens outside of his sovereignty. No maverick molecule in the entire cosmos is outside of his sovereignty and his plan that he's always working for a greater good. If that wasn't the case, how sad would it be to lose my son and say, well, accident, meaningless. God's playing catch up. God looks it down and he goes, oh, I'm so sorry that happened in the pool. Hopefully we could kind of work this out and I'll I'll help you to to make you a better man. Well, how sad a world would that be if, if we didn't go, God, has a plan. Nothing happens outside of his sovereignty. I would say, God, I I don't know what's happening. I don't like this. I can't see what you're doing as much as my son can't see what's happening when I take him to the dentist and he's crying in the dental chair as I'm sitting back going, you're going to have straight teeth. You don't know it yet. (laughs) You don't know it yet, but this is for your good. And so as far as I can't see the 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 tapestry that he is making, the mosaic that he's building, I could say that the Bible says he's good and he's always working towards good. Yeah. So the the Romans eight twenty eight is a is of and and following <laughs> is a comfort and a challenge to hang on to every day, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. 828 is a a comfort and a challenge. And then we could also look back to Genesis 50. Remember the story of Joseph as he gets sold into slavery by his brothers. And when he finally sees his brothers again, he tells them what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so he didn't say what you meant for evil, God then changed and plays catch up and reacts and turns to good. He says, God meant for good. He, he meant for it to happen for a reason. And, and then we look in hindsight and go, yeah, it's so that the Israelites could go to Egypt and survive the famine and, and then grow. And then here comes the Exodus and then raises up Moses and he parts the Red Sea and takes him back to the promised land and moves out the Chaldeans. So we, we look at it in history and go, oh, yeah, God meant that evil upon Joseph for good. And so when we can't see the good in, in our short time span here, we could at least say, whatever this is, he's working for good. And there is such peace in that. Hmm. There's a guy or gal driving on a county road uh, today, <laughs> and they heard your story. And maybe they didn't have the, you know, everything that's happened, but they're saying that same thing. I need what Granger has in my life. What do they do? What do they pray? Well, if they're thinking that, I say, welcome to the journey. Because it it takes that thought, that first thought that says, I'm in need. I need that. 
Because you know what? A lot of people don't think that. A lot of people say, like you said earlier, they go, oh, religion. That's for some people, not for me. But to the people that go, wait a minute, this is, no, 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 this is deeper than that. I want that. I need that. Then we realize at that point, we need it because we're broken, because we are a sinner, just like the Bible says, because we have fallen short of the glory of God. To be with God is to be with perfection. And we can't, as tainted humans, sinful humans, we can't be in the presence of perfection. So we lay it all at his feet. We recognize that God, knowing that, knowing we had no hope, knowing we were dead in our trespasses, as the Bible says, he enters humanity as fully man, fully God, lives the perfect life, fulfills the law, goes to the cross, and dies in a substitutionary death for our sin. He takes the punishment that we deserved for our rebellion upon himself. He's resurrected three days later, and he says, all who look to me and believe in me, I will forgive. I will give eternal life. I will redeem. I will adopt as my son, and I'll give you everything that I have in my kingdom. That's the gospel. If that's what you want to do, I got a phone number for you. Text the word gospel to 800-600-9624. We've got verses there that will lead you through exactly what Granger just talked about. And you can have that transformation, not a a soul makeover home edition, but a transformation from death to life. That's what he's talking about. Text gospel to 800-600-9624 and go to the website like a river is granger smith's book i have so many other questions for you granger i can't thank you enough for sharing your heart with us today do you think you'll ever get up on another stage and sing ever again if the lord redeems it i sure will i sure will (laughs) you'll obey that sounds good (laughs) i'll obey (laughs) god bless you friend thank you for sharing your heart you tell amber she's got to come on the program here one day okay I will, Chris. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. Granger Smith, like a river, finding the faith and strength to move forward after loss and heartache. And maybe that's where you are today. And maybe that guilt, you know, that guilt that's hung on and the pictures, the slideshow that you can't get rid of. Jesus wants to come in and take that away and to to be there with you, to walk through that so that you'll find the forgiveness. You'll find that kind of peace that Granger's talking about. Again, text the word gospel to 800-600-9624. Website's chrisfabrylive.org. Our program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks a lot for listening.